Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of Sports Speak, powered by SeatGeek, episode 141 here on YouTube and Spotify, however you may be watching or listening. We hope you enjoyed your 4th of July weekend, and we're back here to talk some baseball and basketball. I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. We got a lot to discuss. Baseball halfway through the Major League season for 2023. We look back at some of our award picks from the first half and look ahead to the trade deadline, specifically with the big domino, Shohei Otani. We'll shift over to the NBA. Summer League already in action. Victor Wembanyama's been on the court. And the in-season tournament proposal officially announced for this December will react. So, A couple of things, housekeeping to get to first. Number one, of course, as we mentioned in our last episode, we now have a website and we now have partnered with Motorsports Today, a auto racing show that I host and totally goaded podcast, another show hosted by a good friend of mine, Brett Hahn, to all come under the Sports Speak umbrella. And we have a website to showcase all that we do. Sports-speak.com is the site. You can find links to episodes, to socials, and also some articles as well. Tim just posted an article on the Sports Speak page last week looking at the trade deadline and how there's just so few teams who are definite sellers this year at the deadline, making it unique. Good article. You should check it out. A second bit of housekeeping um, doing this episode here. We'll probably do another one next week. And then after that, we will be in Pocono at Pocono Raceway to cover the NASCAR weekend. Myself, Tim Moore, Adam Chopper, we're all making the trip. And in addition, of course, Motorsports, most of that's for motorsports today, but we will be recording an episode from there. So it'll be our third live episode together. We'll have Trapper on as well. It's going to be a good time. And third and finally, but last and definitely not least, the Sports Speak Fantasy Football League, the gimmick league. We had so much fun with it last year. We're running it back, Tim. It's coming back Friday, September 1st, the draft. It's going to all go down. Yep, Friday, September 1st at 8 p.m. We're going to try to get live stream now that we have YouTube live stream access. If not, of course, you'll have it on an episode here in Sports Speak, regardless. Uh, maybe even, of course, on Spotify. But either the way, um, Friday, September 1st, 8 p.m. Eastern, we've upgraded now 12 teams being involved in the draft this year. A lot of new faces. We've removed a couple. Not inactives, but, you know, other people uh, from last season. But needless to say, it's here to stay. A lot of new gimmicks, and it's going to be exciting. I know last year we had, what was it, two regular rounds where you draft anybody. But trust me, this year is a lot of new gimmicks. You don't want to miss it. This year as well, I think it's going to be one of the more exciting years in NFL football, which will only make fantasy football even better with all the chaos. And I'm going for revenge because I got screwed last year by Kyler Murray getting injured. There was someone else for me who got hurt in that last game of the season. I went from being the one seed potentially to missing the playoffs. So we're looking for a bounce back this year. We are fired up September 1st. Let's do this, baby. Uh, Sports speak fantasy football draft 2.0. You won't want to miss it, but Enough about football. It's still summer. Midsummer Classic tomorrow. We're recording on a Monday. All-Star Weekend coming up. And it's a good time now to kind of take a look back at some of our picks from this past year. Uh, at the beginning of the year, myself, you, Zoe, Raheel, Haley, we all made our projections for the season. Now, if you look at the teams that were picked 
Mine's looking the worst because I had the Padres and Cardinals facing off in the NLCS, and those have been right there with the Mets, the two most disappointing teams in all of baseball. A lot of us had the Astros going far. Of course, Houston, I think, is still destined to go deep on a run, even though they haven't had the best starts of the year. They had some injuries. I think they'll make some moves to the deadline as well. But the player picks, a couple of us have been a little off kilter, and nobody was more off the mark than you, Tim, with your AL Cy Young pick. Alec Manoa, who got lit up in the Florida Complex League a couple of weeks ago, you thought he was going to be AL Cy. I know AL Cy Young sometimes a little bit more difficult to project versus the NL. For me, I went with Framber Valdez. It was simple. felt like the easy pick. Right now, Garrett Cole, Framber Valdez have been two of the top pitchers in the American League. But Alec Manoa, not looking too good for you. We did both hit it right, I think, on Corbin Carroll as the NL Rookie of the year, not too difficult of a pick there. Our NL Cy Young picks not much better. Max Scherzer's been bad for me. Sandy Alcantara hasn't been what he was last year for you. But it really shows, just Major League Baseball, you never know what's going to happen. No, you never do. And by the way, not to break some news here on Sportspeak, but I don't know if you saw, however, the starting pitchers for uh, the All-Star game Yes will be Garrett Cole on the AL side and Zach Gallen on the NL side. So that should be exciting as well, two of the better arms this season. Of course, you mentioned Garrett Cole being a favorite for Cy Young. And Zach Gallen, who I would say, I mean, as well, up there as a favorite, but really has been one of the more exciting pitchers to watch over the last two seasons. So I think that's going to be very good for the All-Star game. And, you know, we're not really in a hitter's ballpark this year, but it should make things more exciting. But in terms of predictions, yeah, I'd say I've I've had a tough season. I think I would argue I've had it tougher than you. I just think nobody predicted the fall apart of teams like the Phillies who made the world series last year, teams like the Cardinals and everybody thought slam Diego, as we like to say, would have been bashing the ball all over the yard this year, but yet they're one of the worst offenses in major league baseball, along with the New York Yankees who have very comparable statistics, in my opinion, uh, considering both teams have a lot of very good sluggers. So, and very good pitching staffs might I add as well, but overall San Diego, by far the biggest disappointment in this first half of the season, I would say outside of the New York Mets. Yeah. But let's look at the other side, Tim, some teams that we did not expect to be as good as they have been, but they are really excelling this year. There's three that jump off the pages, Baltimore in the AL and then Cincinnati and Arizona in the National League. And I think this is especially good for the Orioles and the Reds. These are two really foundational franchises in baseball who had so much success back in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and even in the early 20 teens. And then things just completely fell apart. The Reds, a lot of it was their own doing. I'll admit a couple of years ago, they made some bad moves. You can really think sort of a what if, what if they didn't make some of those trades after they made the playoffs in 2020, but now they're here and they've got this young talent. And now we see Camden Yards, Great American Ballpark, two of the nicest stadiums in the league, packed with fans because they've been empty for the last 10 years and seeing fans there to support these teams. And it's not going away anytime soon. Now, I know these teams do not have a lot of money and the way payroll works in baseball, they're probably not going to afford to keep that many of these young guys when they want to get paid in a few years. But for now, in the here and now, for the next couple of years, they've got some great teams for their fans to be excited about some great young stars the reds of course with ellie de la cruz doing things that are just 
incomprehensible. I mean, a cycle two weeks into his career, uh, Baltimore, you got Adley Rutschman, you've got Gunnar Henderson. You've got so much more in the pipeline. You've got pitchers on the way as well. I think it's just so good. We see baseball's attendance up. That's because we know the big market teams, if they're good or not, doesn't matter. People are going to come to their games. When the smaller market teams are bad, people don't come. So now you've got more parity. You've got more fans showing up to the games and more teams that have a chance to contend. So to me, this is really great for baseball. And this is the big story right now. Teams like Baltimore and Cincinnati that nobody saw coming being in the mix. And the fans are showing up and showing out to celebrate the fact that they have some great ball clubs to cheer for. Well, I'd argue Baltimore a little bit because I just like Arizona, for example, where I, okay, I didn't expect Arizona to be winning the NLS, but I've noticed over the last two years, these two teams have slowly, progressively been getting better. And people have been talking about, hey, they start may, may getting into the mix very soon. Baltimore made that very, very, you know, present last year that this team is starting to get better and play competitive baseball. Now, I will argue after a quiet offseason for Baltimore, maybe nobody expected them to be potentially battling, uh, you know, battling up on top of the division for the division lead. But I definitely saw this team being the cusp of a playoff team. Just the fact of the matter of the AL East was so stacked and has been stacked this year to the point where it's still very, very competitive. But in terms of Cincinnati Reds, you know, I still feel it, it, it's mind numbing to me in regards to the fact that this team, you know, is not just winning the NL Central. But it's a fact of you look two, three years ago when they made all these bad moves. I mean, this team literally had borderline three and especially a Cy Young candidate winner of Trevor Bauer at the time uh, during the shortened season. You had Sonny Gray, Luis Castillo on that roster and a pitching staff. And then you mix. You also had Nicholas Castellanos and, and a whole bunch of promising players on this team a few seasons ago. Cincinnati sold all these guys off. And it makes me think with Ellie De La Cruz, how much better this team would have been in 2023 had they never made those decisions. But the past is the past. You can't fix that. But it's good to see from the Cincinnati Reds that they're showing out, playing good baseball. And I, maybe it has a little bit to do, and I'm not trying to discredit Cincinnati a little bit, maybe it has a little bit to do with the fact that the Central on both sides have been really weak. Um, I mean, the Pirates had a great start. They faded now. Uh, the Cardinals have been absolutely underwhelming. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Of course, they were my prediction, I believe, to win the Central this season. I felt like they're a constant playoff contender along with the Milwaukee Brewers. But other than that, I mean, the, the Cubs as well, we thought they were going to do a little bit better, yet they're below 500. So I, I feel like I feel like nobody can have seen Cincinnati's success coming. But I also would not recommend and I'm sure we're going to get into this in a moment, but I would not recommend really if you're Baltimore, Cincinnati going out and, and really splurging, you know, during this trade deadline, you know, yes, get some better players, but don't give away all your prospects and everything in this case, because this team is good, but is it good enough to win a world series right now? I think you have to take steps at a time, kind of like what Atlanta did over years. And granted, I think their window was a lot wider than other teams, but you looked what they did with Acuna, Albies and everybody else building through a younger system and constantly building progression to eventually winning the world series. I feel like you have to do that. If you're Cincinnati constantly make good, strong decisions with your young core. And then eventually once you start having it built to your superstars, yeah, and this trade deadline is going to be so weird. Like, 
you don't want to, we don't even know if the Cubs would give up Stroman or the Guardians would give up Shane Bieber. But ye, if you're the Reds or the Orioles and you've built this sort of chemistry with these young players who are just getting their sea legs under them in the majors, don't give them up in this kind of trade. You've got so much promise. And this is why this deadline is going to be so weird. Like you mentioned in your article, again, sports-speak.com, you can read it. There's only like four true sellers right now that we know are going to go that direction. The AL especially, there's only two, Kansas City and Oakland. Everybody else still has a fair shot and and are completely it's it's completely fair to say that they still have a shot because you never know what's going to happen over 3 months in baseball. I also want to emphasize this too. You know, I mentioned the four teams in particular, but when you look at their rosters, why I think this is going to be one of the more underwhelming trade deadlines in baseball history is just because of the fact that these teams that are all on the bottom of the barrel don't really have good players. I mean, Oakland, there's nobody outside of maybe JT Sears who has been traded around, you know, he was a part of that, that, that trade for Frankie Montop last season, you know, you look at him, he may be one of the better options, you know, and offensively Brett Rooker of Oakland. But outside of that, I would say the golden goose of everybody. Of course, we've seen Kansas city already trade away Raldis Chapman to Texas, but I would argue the golden goose is Salvador Perez. I feel Salvi outside of the fact that he just had an eye surgery two weeks ago, uh, you know, to fix some things. He is the only one right now, I would say, available outside of Shohei Otani of will he get traded, will he not? You know, I feel be a difference maker. You know, Salvador Perez may only be batting at 250. You have to remember, two, it was, what, two seasons ago, right, 2021, where he led Major League Baseball in home runs and RBIs. He could still play great offense, but a lot of the issues with this trade deadline in particular – what makes Shohei Otani valuable outside the fact that he's undoubtedly this season's MVP to this point? There are not a lot of good two-sided baseball players available in this deadline if you're looking for a bat. A lot of your good bats are only good offensively. A lot of your pitchers, that's a little bit different. I think there's some average pitchers out there, but there's no Cy Young caliber pitcher out there right now to get traded for. And with that being said, Salvador Perez, as years have gone on, he's not as good as the defensive catcher as what he once was. And he's only, what, 33? When you think about time to go young, so it's like, but the point is, he's not as good as what he once was at defense, age, and so on's regressed him, but he still has a bat. And I think you're better of the options if you're a team that wants to contend with a, with a better catcher. Because I'm going to be honest with you, the catcher position, we talk about this, I feel like, every season. But this season in particular, for most teams, very underwhelming offensively. Yeah. And Baltimore, of course, has Adley Rutschman. But there's other teams that could definitely need a catcher that would make that move in both the American League and the National League. And I could see Salvador Perez would, get dealt. It, Yankee, I don't. I'm not behind Jose Trevino outside of his defense, and I, I've been asking for Kyle Higashioka off the roster for three seasons now. I don't care if he's caught two no hitters or perfect games. That that doesn't that doesn't matter to me. Congrats, you were part of history. That's great and all, but one game isn't 162 plus. Yeah, and Perez, we just mentioned how good of a home run he hitter he is, and I know those numbers are down a little bit. Much easier to hit them at Yankee Stadium than Kauffman Stadium. So uh, something to really look at. But let's transition to 
the elephant in the room, Shohei Otani. And I think there's a point that needs to be made right here about what sets baseball apart. Because for people, I think Shohei Otani draws in viewers from other sports that don't really follow baseball all that closely. And they think, oh my goodness, he's going to get moved. Some team's going to get an absolute star. Baseball involves multiple different prongs in one game. You need your defense, your bullpen, your starters, and your offense to all come together. You need all four to come together. That's the problem for both the Mets and the Yankees this year is how disjointed the teams are because one day the hitting will be good and the starter won't show up or both of those will be good and the bullpen blows the game or your pitching's locked down and you can't score. Shohei Otani, of course, is a unicorn. He's the best hitter in baseball right now and he provides you a number two starter. But getting Otani doesn't necessarily guarantee you success in terms of winning games. He's been in the league for six years. The Angels have not made the playoffs in that time. For four years, you had Otani, Trout, and Pujols on the same team, and you couldn't make it to the postseason. It's not the NBA where you get a superstar and suddenly you're contending for the championship or the NFL where you add a star quarterback, you're going to the playoffs or the NHL, you get a star forward or a star winger. All of a sudden you're going deep into May or June with the playoff beards growing all crazy. Like it's not the same in baseball. And for Otani at this point, there's just so much demand for what you'd have to give up for him because you're going to have to drain your farm system and give up major leaguers as well because you're getting a bat and a number two starter. You're essentially getting two highly coveted players in one that I don't know why you would give that up for eight weeks when, again, he's going to be on the open market in the winter and could go leave. So for the Angels, of course, you'd want to deal him because like the Nets when they gave up James Harden, you know he's not going to be back. You can't afford him. So at least get some sort of compensation back for him. But I just don't know of any team who would realistically give up the whole farm system for Otani when there's no guarantees you're going to have him past October. Well, you see, again, World Series comes once in a lifetime, it feels like, for a lot of teams. And I would say the two teams that jumped out to me that would be the ones that would go out and get them. Of course, we've seen it in the past already, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who, I mean, have gone out on a limb to go get players like Trey Turner in the past. I mean, you look at the big deal they did to go get Max Scherzer and everybody from Washington. I mean, that was huge. Absolutely huge. You look at what they did to go get Manny Machado. The Dodgers are an organization that's not complacent. I know they haven't exactly had the type of season we thought to this point or the fact that that team is, you know, really been underwhelming the last few seasons compared to what it once was. But the Dodgers, in my opinion, are still creating a dynasty of consistency. And I would not be surprised if they jumped out and make a move. Now, on the opposite side, uh, of the NL West. I would make the argument too. The offseason did not go to plan for the San Francisco Giants. This is a team that for a brief moment in time thought they had signed Aaron Judge and they also thought they had Carlos Correa. And guess what? None of those worked out. They made a couple underwhelming signings, but it ended up working out. This team's playing competitive baseball, not enough to right now win a division, but be in the mix. And I would not be surprised if they were to turn around, throw the cards out and go get Shohei Otani. You know, the big thing is this. If you are a team, this is really what I'm thinking of Eddie more of. Yes. You think about eight weeks, Shohei Otani is essentially a free agent, right? But if I am a big team that's in the middle, not exactly, you know, in a World Series contention, 
Um, I would argue that if I'm making a trade for Shohei Otani and I'm giving up pieces like crazy, I probably want to make sure that he's coming back on an extension. That's the only if, Fander, but, but if you're purely thinking World Series and your team, even, for example, like the Houston Astros, where you're in the mix, you're just not there yet, or even the Texas Rangers, I would argue you're going, you're getting him now, and it's as simple as that. doesn't matter what the future looks like. But if you're a team down the middle, like, you know, even the Mets, who are below 500, let's be honest, I think they'll turn it around next season. They just need offensive bats. Otani's a massive perk, granted, again. I mean, they're still technically in the wild card mix, but, again, that doesn't really matter. But if you're a team like, you know, the Yankees or um, – even I, like the Twins, I don't see him landing in Minnesota. It'd be a big market team, in my opinion. But you're going to have to go and make sure he's a part of an extension. So that's how I view it as. Yeah, and while you might want to be the first bidder and then get him right away in July, at the same time for a team like the Mets or the Dodgers that have a farm system there, you know it's a narrow field for who's going to get him long-term. There's only a few teams that can afford to give the dollars that he's going to demand, which is going to be north of $500 million on a contract. There's only going to be about five or six franchises who can realistically do that, again, with the way money is structured in baseball. So why throw the house at him right now and lose your farm system when you can instead get a shot at him? And then if you don't well, get him... But, but think about it like this. Why do it now? Because, yes, you lose part of your farm system. But, again, it not only betters your team down, but there's a chance of securing him in the long run if you're one of these bigger market teams. That That's the key part you have to remember. Because once we come to the offseason, right, I, I, there's not many other good players on the market this upcoming free agency. If you really look into it, there's not many game-changing players. Why not limit the market immediately and go get him now and not give him the opportunity to hit the market, in my opinion? That's the reason why, if you're a big market team, you trade those those values now because down the road, this is what happens if you wait for Otani and you, you're a team that doesn't get him. You're going to have to end up trading those pieces anyways. That's what it comes down to. So you might as well do it now if you're getting a player that you know you could secure in the long haul. If you can't guarantee him getting an extension now, that's a little bit different Then I agree with you. But if you're a big market team and you think you can secure him from beyond not just this deadline, then I give up all the assets in the world. Well, you're not necessarily going to have to trade those pieces. I, I mean, I'm thinking these prospects, like just say for the Mets, for argument's sake, they're not making a trade for Shohei Otani, but just say they were at least were considering it right here. If you don't trade for him here, and let's say he goes and signs somewhere else, at least you can be confident you still have Alvarez and Beatty and Mauricio, and they're not Shohei Otani, but you haven't lost them. I just feel like it's too much of a risk to give them up and, again, not have that guarantee that he's going to stay, which is why I agree with you, and we can finish the topic with this kind of an agreement here. If a team is going to trade for Shohei Otani, they need that backhand agreement that he will be agreeing to an extension upon the trade. So I think that's really the only way this is going to work. That's the big storyline of trade deadline. Don't know if he's going to get moved. Again, the Angels are still in the mix, but so are almost every other team in the American League with the exception of two. Angels who very likely won't deal. 
They haven't done it over the past few seasons for that reason. They're a dysfunctional organization for a reason. And yes, granted, they're playing above 500 baseball for the first time in what? 10 years, 11 years, something. Mm-hmm. It's very, very long time, it feels like. But the point is, of the matter, I just, I don't see them. Uh, it, it, if they don't trade him away, he wouldn't surprise me. It's the Angels. Yeah. But, you know, but reasonably they should, like, you know, get something for him, at least. You're not bringing him back. You do not have the money to keep him. So uh, we'll see what happens with the MLB trade deadline. There will be more to talk about as we get deeper into the month. Let's shift to the NBA. So I watched a little summer league last night uh, during the NASCAR rain delay. Spurs and Trailblazers, Wembenyama on the court. First of all, announcers have to calm down and officials too he's getting calls in the summer league we've got to calm down with this there was a play where he he put up a three he missed and there was like a landing lane deal and they're seriously mark jones seriously suggests should there be a flagrant one on the play are you kidding me that's a regular basketball play the way they are protecting this kid is just getting ridiculous and there's going to be an adjustment period for him in the NBA. I'm not saying he's a bust because of how he played in two summer league games. I think he's going to be a very great talent in the NBA in the future. He's got to add more to his body. There is no way his current frame is hanging with Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic in the post. It's just not going to happen. But there's a possibility because we know how bigs have played with Greg Popovich. But you've got to give him time because the game in Europe is very different from the game here. In my opinion, the adjustment from Europe to the NBA is much more of a sort of title shift compared to going from the NCAA to the NBA. And we know college basketball is a different game, which really shows what a difference Europe is from the NBA. And he had clear paths to get to the basket. He's not going to have that here. He had a much easier way to drive. He had much less defensive resistance. That is not going to be the same case in the NBA. So just stop hyping him up like crazy. You did this with Zion Williamson four years ago, and look what happened. Give him some time. He's going to develop into a star, but let him be. Uh, You know, it's funny. You brought up Zion Williamson because I was just about to say, this is literally Zion all over again. And it, it stinks a little bit because, granted, I think with, with this scenario, it's a little bit different just because I feel that he's a lot less injury prone than Zion Williamson is. But, you know, I, I think I agree with you in this regards that there have to be a much stronger transition period from European basketball to the NBA just because the styles and pacing are much, much different. Really, if you think about college basketball, what makes college basketball a little bit more comparable to the NBA is that it's not as, I mean, it's tactical depending on which team, of course, you play for, but it's more aggressive, fast paced, quick, up and down, and the tempo in college basketball, why people love it so much, the moments have its own pacing and it never slows down. In the NBA, it's transition to transition, bucket to bucket, momentum goes up and down. Same thing in college basketball. I'm not saying that doesn't happen in European basketball, but the floor slows down a little bit. The game comes to you a little bit. Yes, there still is physicality, but it comes in a slower presence. To be honest with you, I, it's going to come a little bit weird when I say this, but you want to know what's more comparable to, in my opinion? 
Olympic basketball. When we see the Olympics, why why did the USA have a tough time adapting? Because the physicality aspect and a lot more of how the game is played is far, far different to what we see in the NBA or college basketball today. So with that being said, hey, there's adaptabilities. But listen, I think he's going to transition in just fine. I wouldn't over I would put I wouldn't overlook the summer league. The summer league, in my opinion, doesn't matter. It really, really doesn't. It's about getting quality minutes, making sure you don't get hurt, understanding the objective. And listen, playing under Popovich is not an easy thing. You you have to understand what his mission is and his objective of play calling or putting players in positions and understanding cuts and key things. Popovich is is a great person that you just look on paper and you have to get it and it's going to take time you're not going to understand it after the first day and I think for the Spurs it's a good thing to start off with rebuilding what is essentially a falling apart franchise since Tim Duncan and everybody else is retired I think they're making good strides and I think this is a good look for the NBA I think so too. And I, again, I'm not denying the talent. I just think people are rushing him. And I think the way he's being covered by the media is getting ridiculous. Just give him some time to progress and grow as a player. Well, and not to interrupt, but it's also this, I think it's the idea that we've been blessed. I guess you could say in the basketball end where somebody that is a legitimate superstar in the draft comes out and showcases their talents immediately. But the fact of the matter is, not everybody can be LeBron James. You know, not everybody can have the dominance like Carmel Anthony had early on in his career. You know, there's a lot of stuff, equations that go into it. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to have to be patient in this modern draft system. Because I'm not saying that there's not superstars of that caliber coming through the systems. But it's more the fact that you have to realize we're playing in a much different style of basketball than what we were 10 years ago. The versatility is different. You have big, uh, you have big men now that have to shoot, you know, shooting threes was not a thing really consistently until Steph Curry transitioned into the league and really changed the perception of it. So with that being said, you know, we're starting to see an era now of kids that are, that, how do I put it? have adapted to what the newer league looks like when they were younger as compared to a lot of our bigger superstars we know of today. Again, I mentioned LeBron already, someone like Kevin Durant and so on, that back then were somewhat considered unicorns. Today, they're still great basketball players. LeBron, of course, still to me is the GOAT. He's, he's, he's always going to be. But it's more of the fact that there's a lot more players today in the NBA now similar to their kind of physiques and styles and could maybe even do more than what they had because versatility today in sports, not just the NBA, means ever so much more. And we're seeing it in the NFL, for example, with quarterbacks. And bringing up the NFL into the equation, let's finish with this. So the NBA revealed the other night the official plans for the inaugural in-season tournament that will be beginning on Tuesdays and Fridays in the month of November and culminating in December with semis and a championship, a little Final Four in Las Vegas. Now, here's what I like. 
NBA games in Las Vegas. Whether you like it or not, Vegas is becoming a hub for sports. They show up for their NHL team, their NFL team. They're going to have a baseball team in a couple of years. They got an F1 Grand Prix coming in November. It's a great place for sports. It's an untapped market for the NBA. I like that move. Number one, full on. The things with the actual tournament... I am mainly going to wait to judge until I actually see it happen because I think there's the potential for this to be a good idea. But it also reeks of desperation from the NBA to try and rival the NFL, which is an unrivalable opponent. I always think of that one quote uh, in Concussion, uh, the Albert Brooks character, when he says, like, the NFL owns a day of the week. It's the same day the church owns. Now it's theirs. It's true. The NFL owns Sundays from September to December. Millions of people watch that sport. That is really never going to change in America. The NBA and any other sport can try. It's hard to contend. It's very ironic that the when these tournament games are happening are on Tuesdays and Fridays, which are the two days that do not conflict with the NFL or college football whatsoever. So I think scheduling-wise, that makes sense. But will this actually, A, drum up more competition and attention towards the regular season that remains to be seen and b how seriously will teams even take this tournament this is not the nba finals i still think we could see teams load managing at times or players not going 100 obviously adam silver is going to pressure these teams to make sure their stars are out there and they're not doing load management on these tuesday and friday games and again you're playing other games during this time too it's not like you're only playing two games a week for the entire month of november how about those games the games that are not part of this tournament are going to mean absolutely nothing. And imagine how much load managing is going to be going on then. So I think there are some real red flags with this. It's unprecedented. It could work. It might not. I'm still very squeamish about the idea of an in-season tournament, but I think there's a realm in which this works and ending it in Vegas to me is a good spot for the NBA. So what, what say you? No, I'd say it is a good spot for the NBA to finish off in Vegas. My other question for you is this, and I because I hadn't really fully read into it. I read, of course, about you know the tournament and so on. But who is getting the broadcasting rights? Yeah, who, I do not know getting, because because here's my thing, right? If it's going to be on TNT, the other issue that you have that falls the reason why maybe it's Tuesdays and Fridays is because of the fact that they have you know, sponsorships and stuff already, for example, with wrestling, with all elite wrestling, where you see them on Wednesdays and Saturdays, um, which could be essentially a big reason why you couldn't fall under those dates. And of course you mentioned competing with football. You're not, you're not competing with the NFL. That's not happening. I'm sorry. Listen, as much as I, I, I'm excited by the NBA, you're not getting me to tune out of the New York Giants football game on Sunday to watch the Cleveland Cavaliers play in a tournament. I don't care if it's the playoffs, a little bit different. I, I I probably wouldn't even turn off the New York Giants football if it was the Yankees playing in a, in a in a playoff game. That, that's just me being honest. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's a good thing for the NBA as long as they, you know, as long as they don't put players at risk. Because at the end of the day, yeah, listen, this tournament's great. It's something to look forward to. It, it, a little bit more of a perk in season to the NBA, but you have to remember it still doesn't. How do I put it? It, it still doesn't take away the fact that what matters is winning a championship. And if somebody gets hurt during this tournament and these games and so on, 
there's going to be a lot of people very, very angry. So I just think that the NBA is going to have to be careful about it. And And as they are, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say the other weird thing, too, is the way pool play is working for this, because you mentioned the broadcasting rights. Well, every Tuesday and Friday in November, every team is playing in pool play. So it's not like all of these there's going to be like eight tournament games going on at one time. So it's going to be like kind of weird to really follow it as an NBA fan. It just seems very complicated and difficult to track until it gets to the end. Here's more my thing. Is it a made-up World Baseball Classic kind of tournament? Because think about it. Pool play, it's what the World Baseball Classic was. And the way you set it up, and I just, I'm sorry, baseball is to an extent still America's pastime. And what made the World Baseball Classic so exciting wasn't the fact that you had all these superstars playing not for their teams, but combined for their country. But to me, it was bigger than the Olympics. The NBA can't be the Olympics. They can't make this more important than the Olympics, right? Because we have Olympic basketball for a reason already. So it's a little bit different for baseball. Baseball wasn't a part of the Olympics until very recently. And the Olympics happened in the middle of baseball season. It doesn't happen like that for basketball. So to me, again, I, I like the tournament idea. Do not get me wrong. But again, it's more of if you're trying to take an aspect that came from a World Baseball Classic style, you're not going to make this more important than the Olympics. Because at the end of the day, again, all that matters is the NBA Finals postseason play in playoffs. And I'm not saying this doesn't have value. It is something exciting, but you can't make it more than that. You just can't. You cannot. And we'll see how it works out again. I'm going to wait to fully judge until I see it in action because I think it's right. a cool idea. It's innovative, but I just don't know how it's really going to work out. But we'll see. Uh, again, one more episode regular next next week. And then after that, our special Pocono episode will all be together. Chopper will be on as well. And we'll be uh, from the hotel in Bethlehem. That's going to be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for that. Again, follow us on Twitter at Sportspeak Live, website sports-speak.com. And we're sponsored by SeatGeek. $20 off your first purchase with the promo code SPORTSSPEAK, all caps, one word. That'll do it here for this episode of SPORTSSPEAK. Until next time, I'm Eddie Kalegi. And I'm Tim Moore. Enjoy the MLB All-Star Game. We'll see you next week here on SPORTSSPEAK.